And I think maybe the cool part, though, about sometimes singing some of those older songs is that I think it reminds my heart, if not yours, that the Word of God that you and I are going to study together tonight is the same Word of God that was true as I sat there that evening as a 13-year-old young man. It was true when our parents studied it. It was true 100 years ago. It was true 2,000 years ago. It was so true that Jesus said, heaven and earth are more likely to pass away than the smallest crossing of a T or the smallest dotting of an I from the word of God to ever be errant or with mistake. So as you and I come to this moment to study scripture, we come not studying a new fad or the latest craze. We come standing just to study the word of God, which is truer than any other thing in this universe. So it's an incredible, amazing moment together. Hey, uh, just uh, to take care of some business, they've asked me that um, when you have a question, if you could uh, wait for the microphone to come, what's happening is that they're putting this on YouTube, I have something, they're putting on something, and when they don't hear your question, then they just think I am randomly and chaotically going off on tangents, and they can't figure out what, why in the world did he say it? So if they could hear your question, then it makes a little more sense when they put it on iTunes or wherever they're putting it on the deal. Hey, we're studying 1 Corinthians. Why did we say we were studying 1 Corinthians? Why was this an interesting book for us to study? Because they were just totally messed up. This is probably the worst church in the New Testament. But you and I are going to gain the benefit of that because you and I are going to watch all of the controversy, all the stuff that's going on in their church and glean tons and tons of biblical information. The other part that you just need to know as we go through this together, this is probably the most controversial book in all of the New Testament. There is a really, really good chance that somewhere as we are doing this study together, you're going to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not what my grandmother told me. That's not what I learned in Sunday school. See, I grew up in this other church, and they always said, and that, that's just different. And that, you need to know that that's okay. That's okay if that's where you're at. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Before you discount, before you go, oh, wait a minute, that's not what I've always been told, so I'm not going to reconsider. I believe that any time you and I are looking at Scripture, we've got to come with the honesty that says, I've got to be willing to research. I've got to be willing to go back. I've got to be willing to justify what I believe based on biblical evidence. And if I suddenly hear something that I've never heard before or surprises me in truth, before I discard it, I'm going to go back and spend the time to look at it biblically. Matter of fact, I'm going to talk about that a little bit uh, tonight together. Um, And reconsider that maybe, maybe what I was told may not be biblically accurate or maybe it was and now i know the six verses that support it but being willing to take the time to do the research do the study it's what good students of the word are willing to do as they do scripture okay the other part just as we get ready to start i know we're going a little bit slow and so there's a couple people in the room that are probably just pulling our hair out going we're going to be in first corinthians chapter one like the rest of our lives and that's like what we are doing together in the end is going to pay off huge dividends for us. Because as you and I set the plow fairly deep and say, we're just not going to breeze over those words. We're not going to jump past that phrase. We're going to make sure that we all understand it. There's going to come a moment when scripture is going to just absolutely explode and come alive for you. And not only is it going to start really making huge sense in this room, but as you study it at home and as you read script, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, I know that word, I know the context, I know the background, I get how that applies. And suddenly, not just 1 Corinthians is going to unveil for you, but the rest of scripture is too. So you and I are doing something together as we take some time at the beginning to make sure we all are on the same page, we all understand the vernacular, we all understand the background, that's going to pay off big time as we study the rest of Scripture, not just 1 Corinthians, okay? So maybe a little slow. Hopefully tonight we can finish chapter 1 together. Please, 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 there is no exam at the end. We don't have to get all the way by January, okay? We we have to get as far as we have to get, okay? All right, so here we go. We're going to dive back into Scripture. Let's pray real quick as we get ready to do this. Ask God just to bless our time. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we aren't left here just to imagine and guess and hypothesize about how to live, that everything that we need to know for life, you've recorded in the Bible. And it's up to us to simply go find it. So God, I'm going to ask that tonight you would just honor us being here. 
that you would cause us to grow not only in knowledge, but grow in lifestyle, that we would live what we've learned tonight. God, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so grabbing our Bibles, 1 Corinthians. And I want us to go back, if we can, to verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. Here we go. Here's what it says. Remember, this was Paul, and he was, in, and they had all, be, all begun to follow schisms in the church. They all began to follow the most popular teacher. There was a lot of man worship going on. And in verse 13, Paul was saying, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And all he's appealing to him is saying, Guys, don't ever get wrapped up in a teacher. Don't ever get wrapped up in a pastor. It has always been about Jesus Christ. And pastors will fail you, and teachers will make mistakes, but at the end of the day, this is about Jesus Christ. This is an interesting thing for me, because if you unpack my life and go back, probably the most significant spiritual mentor of my life was my youth pastor as a kid. I I went from a 13-year-old who was desperately, desperately angry at God and God brought this guy named Wayne into my life. And the truth is, when Wayne first came and knocked on my door, he was, he was just so not the kind of guy. I was kind of an athlete. Wayne was not. Um, Wayne wore a leisure suit. Anybody remember leisure? Anybody that old? Okay. And anybody watched retro MTV or something? You've seen leisure. I mean, the most hideous thing that was ever invented for men other than culottes for women. Leisure suits. And... Uh, patent leather, shiny shoes. And I mean, the the guy came to my house, he was literally everything I wasn't. But the one thing Wayne was, is he was desperately in love with Jesus, and he was a wonderfully winsome guy. And he spent time with a 13-year-old kid who was angry at God and angry at his dad, and just invested in my life. And my life was forever, forever, forever changed because Wayne was my youth pastor, and Wayne was my mentor. About the time I was graduating high school, Wayne's life began to fall apart. He'd had some problems in his marriage. Rather than fixing his problems in his marriage, he'd poured himself in his ministry instead. Lost his family. Got really angry at God over the whole deal. Before the thing was all said and done, my spiritual mentor got so disillusioned, so frustrated, so angry at what he considered the unfairness of his life, that Wayne ended up being a homosexual prostitute. So I'm left in a moment of going, my spiritual mentor is absolutely living as far away as he possibly can from the God he poured into my life. Wayne ended up dying of AIDS. And I stood at his funeral and gave part of the message at his funeral. And it was interesting because at his funeral, there were about 200 of us there, and all 200 of us would have said this. This man, this man, was the most significant spiritual man in our entire lives. What I can also tell you is, there were probably 200 people who did not attend his funeral, who would have said, this man was the most destructive element in my life because of how he had lived his lifestyle when he was away from God. And we were all left to choose in that moment, does our faith hang on the personality of Wayne, or does our faith hang on the Jesus he introduced us to? And I'm just telling you that if you hang with Christ long enough, you'll end up having to ask that question. Because Christian leaders will fail, leaders will make mistakes, teachers will get off track and become silly. And you'll be left with a question that simply says, is my faith based on my spiritual mentor? Or is my faith based on the Jesus that they were talking to me about? Paul is appealing to that same moment. He's just simply saying, guys, how did we get so far off? How did we get into, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas. And then I think the super spiritual room going, I'm of Jesus. How did we get into this? At the end of the day, it's always been about Jesus. It's, that's where our faith is fixed. Stop worrying about men. Stop worshiping men. This has always been about Christ. Be a Christ follower. The rest of it doesn't matter. Okay. So, as we keep going, 
I think gets into incredibly interesting doctrinal stuff. We're going to take a few moments, hopefully, and learn a little bit about Bible study uh, here together and good exposition. Verse 14, he says, I am thankful, Paul says this, that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. No, so no one can say to you that we were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And then get this phrase, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, and we said this is a huge statement in Scripture, if we stop and consider it for a minute. What did we say was so important about this statement? Anybody remember? We were listening so well last week. It made such a deep impact upon our lives. Anybody remember why this was a big deal? Here we go. Because it wasn't uh, through baptism that we were saved okay. through Christ. Okay, baptism and the gospel were separated in this phrase. This is a big deal because this is a topic that's had confusion within the Christian church for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you get what Paul is saying. Paul says, look, God sent me to tell people how to become Christians. He didn't send me to be a baptizer. And what he's saying in that moment is these are separate issues. Becoming a Christian and being baptized are not the same thing. Big deal. Okay? All right. One of the things we said last week is, okay, so Paul said, I was sent to preach the gospel. What did we decide the gospel was last week? Good news. Stop it. <laughs> what it, what it in other words, if I sit down with a five-year-old, and I am trying to tell my five-year-old what they need to know in order to be a Christian. What do they need to know and what do they need to confess? Okay? That Jesus Christ died for our sins. Okay, Jesus. All right. Oop. Necessary and sufficient. Jesus died and it worked. Okay? In other words, hey, Jesus... Whoop, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I went too far on the pad. This is brand new pad and it's smarter than me. Okay. Okay. Is it I have no idea. Okay, there you go. All right, Jesus died and the important part is guys, it worked. Okay? So Jesus dying on the cross saves me. There's a sense, and guys, I can't land this all the way for you. All I can simply tell you is, is that Scripture over and over again says that Jesus' death on the cross was able to pay. It took care of. It fixed my sin problem. And it worked. Okay? I've got I've to believe that. What else does that five-year-old have to believe? Okay, Jesus is the Son of God. Why is it important that Jesus is the Son of God? Why is that a big deal? Why, why can't Jesus just be an incredibly good prophet? Any answers? Okay, so here we go. Right, we got another one. Why can't he just be a good guy? Jesus was God, and only God can forgive sin. Okay, only God can forgive sin, but why does Jesus need to be God in order to be Savior? Why can't he just be a man? Because he was resurrected. Okay, well, why couldn't God resurrect a man? I mean, he does, right? Didn't God resurrect Lazarus? Doesn't Elijah end up being caught up into heaven before he even dies? I mean, what, who cares? Why does Jesus have to not be a man like us? Because all men have sinned. Because all men have sinned. Okay? Scripture teaches that you and I that when Adam sinned, okay, Romans chapter 5, when Adam sins, he sinned as your and my federal representative. Okay? In other words, you and I in America should get this really easily. You and I are about to go through election time right now. And we are going to elect representatives that we're going to send to Washington. And when they get to Washington, they're going to cast votes. How many of you agree with all the votes your senator does? Anybody? But you and I have to live with their votes, right? Because why? They're my representative. Adam stood in the garden as your representative. And in that moment, he cast a vote for you. And guess what his vote was? God, I'm not going to listen. And on behalf of all mankind, he said, 
representing me and all that will come after me, our answer to God is no. Which means every single one of us was born alienated from God based on Adam's vote. And every child that comes into this world needs a Savior. Every one of them. Every son and daughter of Adam need a Savior. Which means if Jesus was a son or daughter of Adam, guess what he needs? A Savior. It's why he cannot be human like us. Because he would need a Savior as badly as we needed a Savior. He has to be different than us without sin. And thus, Jesus is virgin born by Mary. So he doesn't need a Savior. He is the Savior. And it's why when people come to you and say, you know, I'm not sure that Jesus is virgin born. They're also denying his deity. But you also understand at that moment he can no longer be Savior because he needs one. Because he's like us. See, it's the reason Joseph Smith cannot save you. It's the reason Gandhi cannot save you. Because they are born as a son of Adam and they need a Savior. Jesus wasn't. He was the Savior. Okay? So, he's got to be the Son of God. What else do I have to tell my five-year-old? He rose from the dead. Scripture says over and over again, if I believe in my heart that he rose from the dead, and rising from the dead is God's seal of approval that what the Savior did on the cross worked. If Jesus was still in the grave, you and I would be wondering if the formula took. We'd be wondering if the price was really paid. And that resurrection out of the grave is God's way of saying to you and me, done. Done. Matter of fact, Scripture is going to come back over and over again and say that after Jesus finished his work, he was seated at the right hand of God because his work was done. Okay, so the resurrection says paid in full, not paid in an installment, paid in full. If Jesus was still in the grave, people would be able to argue and say, well, maybe Jesus only got us partway to heaven and maybe we need to get the rest of it done. But guess what the resurrection says? Paid in full. You don't need to add to the Savior. Okay? So, resurrection, big deal. Okay? And then what do I have to, what else do I have to tell that five-year-old? Anything else? Okay. And you've got to make this personal. So you've, you've got to ask Jesus, and we would t- t- tend to say, ask Jesus in your heart. You realize that's kind of a Christian speak. Scripture is just going to say you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to make this personal. You, you cannot just say, I think God is really good. I, I acknowledge theologically who he is. You've got to say, no, 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 no. I need my Savior. I need this to be personal. That's the gospel. And guys, you just, here, here's, you just got a, an absolute lesson in evangelism. And you, and you are now fully qualified to lead your children to Christ. Okay? Because that's what they need to know. That's what they, your neighbor, that's what your neighbor needs to know. Okay? Your neighbor doesn't need to know uh, the second coming of Christ. Your neighbor doesn't need to know the reason for baptism by immersion. Your neighbor doesn't need to know how to take communion. It doesn't need to, those are not essential to the gospel. The gospel is this story. Does that make sense? And we all nodded our head, yes. Okay, we're there. So here's the deal. Paul in this moment says, look, God didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to tell the gospel. He sent me to tell people how to become Christians. How do you end up saved in this world? And now makes a huge distinction. This is a huge distinction because one of the struggles that's gone on in Christianity for thousands of years is there are Christians who want to say this isn't enough. If you believe that, if you assent to that, you still have to have something more. So some of us that are familiar, what are some of the other things that churches have over the years tried to say, you have to add to Jesus in order to get to heaven? Anybody know? Baptism was one of them. Confession. Yeah, you need to go to someone and tell them all your sins. Huh? 
good works. If you help enough little old ladies across the street, somewhere this adds up. Okay, So it's, it's kind of like when Jesus died for you, he gave you a certain number of brownie points. And then if you add enough good works, then you get to go to heaven. What, what else? Communion. If you're going to go to heaven, you have to take communion. Because somehow, you ready for this? Communion helps to wash away your sins. Don't tell anybody, but we buy that grape juice at Fry's. Okay? So... I don't know what they're putting in there. But I think we bought the store brand last time, right? So, it's interesting. What else? Huh? Confirmation. What else? Huh? Last rites. Join my church. You realize no one else is going to heaven, just the people who join my church. What else? Huh? Um... I'm not sure I've ever heard Hail Marys in Our Fathers. Yeah. That, that, maybe. maybe. You know, it makes you... Yeah. It's not working very well. Because you guys are a bunch of rebellious Christians. That's basically it. You're all backslidden. Yeah. Anything else? All right. So here, here's the deal, guys. You realize that all through Christianity, there has been... A movement to try to say it's Jesus plus. Here's my question. How do, how do I know that's not true? I mean, what, what, if, what if they're right? What if, what if you and I are wrong? And matter of fact, did you know, and you've already heard me say tonight, hey, wait a minute, uh, baptism and salvation are separate, but did you know that there are verses in the Bible that seem to say you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven? Did you know that? Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. I'll show you a couple. Here we go. Mark chapter 16. So to the left in your Bible. Mark chapter 16. And you and I are about to do something together that if you will remember what we are about to do, it will forever change uh, how you study Scripture and will make you a better Bible student. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Actually, we'll start in verse 15. Here's what it says. And he said to them, speaking about Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news to all the creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And an awful lot of theologians point to that verse and say, see, you have to believe and be baptized in order to go to heaven. Let me give you another one. Acts chapter 22 going to be a little bit to the right in your Bible. Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Watch this one. And now that you are waiting, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away the sins away, calling on his name. So what do you do in a moment when someone is bringing you scripture and saying, look, I mean, right here, right in scripture, it says, be baptized. Believe, be baptized so you can go to heaven. Be baptized so you can wash your sins away. What do you do in a moment when someone is showing you scripture that seems to say something completely different than what Pastor Lynn said? What do you do in that moment? Baptism is just surrendering to your belief in Jesus Christ. So it's not the baptism that does it. It's your belief for which is behind the baptism. Right, and I agree with you 100%. But you read Mark 16, 16, it seems to say, believe and be baptized so that you can go to heaven. I agree with you, but why do I agree with you? I had a question from earlier. Sorry. Okay. Oh, this is an earlier question. You're making us go backwards. Just like a minute ago. All right. All right. But what you had up on the board. Yep. Where does repentance fall into that? Okay, right, and and so what I would say as far as repentance, when I say that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and it worked, I'm including in the idea that says, "I I need my sins fixed. I need to repent of my sins. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm including that in the whole idea of Jesus dying on the cross, but absolutely, you've got to come to a place where you say, I'm done with my sins and I need a Savior for my sins. Do you need to list everything? Do I need to list everything? 
absolutely, why not? No, no. How would you ever list everything? I, I mean, I, I've, done so, I, I've done so many sins. I, I can't even remember the sins I did yesterday. So, no, no. And really that moment is coming to where you say, I know I've sinned, and I know I need a Savior, and, and the reality is I'm done with my sin, and I want to be a Christ follower now. Okay, that's, I, to me, that is that moment of coming to the cross. I'm done living my life my way. I'm going to live my life Christ's way. That, that's the whole Savior thing in that moment. So, but thank you for... There does need to be repentance. There needs to be this thing that says, I'm done with sin. I need a Savior. So thanks for backing us up. Okay, so let's, let's get back to what do I do when there's Scripture that seems to absolutely contradict what I think I know Scripture says. Okay, so get microphones. Well, All right. in Mark 16 it said, believe and be baptized. But the other part of it was that if you don't believe, you are condemned. Ooh, you're sneaky. That was baptism. a good catch. That was a good catch there. Good for you. So we're going we're gonna to remember that because I love the fact that you caught that. Good catch. Still leaves me with Acts, struggling with the thing that says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, when we look at chapter 19, um, Paul talks about the of baptism of, the, of, Acts, of Acts, chapter 19. Okay. Um, when Apollos was at Corneth, Paul took the road through the um, interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even seen or heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. So I believe it's, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit is okay. the answer to that. The, the people arguing with you, and I love the fact that you quote a scripture. I love that you went to scripture for us. But would go to verse 5, and they'd say, On hearing us, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. And they say, see, there's what they did to get this thing done. They got themselves baptized. Okay, so we'll take a more, couple more questions, and then we're going to help ourselves get there. And guys, what we're going to do next, I'm telling you, is going to change when you have biblical discussions. Here we go. Yep. Pastor, why did Jesus himself get baptized? Get baptized. That's a great question, and I think Jesus answers that, and he says, I've done this for obedience sake. I've done, I've done this so that no one can come back. And I think anytime you're in leadership, you've got to say, you know what, sometimes leaders do things simply so that no one can falsely accuse them, so that nobody can say, hey, you're telling us to do something. You didn't even do it yourself. Okay? And you've got to remember baptism. And, and, there's, I, and actually, I would argue and say, and I love your question, if baptism is saving, then why would Jesus do it? Because he didn't need saving. But if baptism is obedience then Jesus would do everything that was obedient. It's a great question. I love the question. Okay? All right. Oh, okay. Your question was, how do, what do we do when we come across a scripture and we don't, don't understand it? And, right. You know, how do we make sense of it? Um, whenever we're doing a Bible study, we could use a concordance, look at the use of that word throughout the entire Bible, and then narrow it down and narrow it down and look at the actual context of how it's being used in that moment. Okay. to determine exactly what that meaning was. Yeah. Okay, so, and I love your answer. Sometimes you and I can get this answer by looking at context. In other words, you look at what's ahead of it and behind it, and you go, oh, now I know what it means. For example, if I wrote you a letter and I said, I really love you, and you took that out of context, you'd go, well, no, wait a minute. Is that Pastor Lynn making a pass at me? You know, you're getting a little weird. Does he mean I love you like a sister? Does he mean I love you like a brother? Does he mean I love you in the Lord? Does he mean I love you as a... I mean, what does he mean when he says I love you? And sometimes context, because you go back and look at the rest of the letter, and you go, oh, sheesh. Right up here it says, man, you're just like the brother I never had, and boy, you know. And you go, oh, okay. As a matter of fact, I, I had one of my friends on the phone today, and when we got done, I, I said to my friend, I said, man, I, I just want you to know I love you. Well, I'm glad he knew that in context because otherwise, yeah, it could have been weird. But anyway, context can help you. A lot of these verses, context is not going to help you. There is nothing above or behind, I think, that helps you much other than I love the catch that you made that said, hey, repent and be baptized so you can go to heaven, but it turns right around and says, because he that does not believe doesn't go and really came back to emphasize belief. Okay, Oh, right here. I'm sorry. I keep pointing yeah. people without the microphone. And we, we talked about this last week, too, the man on the cross. Obviously, confessed his yeah. need for a Savior. 
And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. No baptism there. Right. Thief on the cross is an amazing... Guys, I'm going to tell you, you can solve about 90% of your problems with cults by simply going to the man on the cross because the man on the cross cannot do anything to go to heaven except believe. He is not going to go to catechism class. He is not going to go to confession. He is not going to get last rites. He, he basically has nothing but Jesus save me and he gets to go to heaven, Jesus says. So the man on the cross solves all problems. Let, rather, let, let's, let's get there. Let's, let's, let me help you with how we deal with this and then we can ask questions if we're still going. Bad theologians and people who are not being true to Scripture grab verses and use verses to prove things. And we call that proof texts. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, if you use proof texts, if you just grab Scripture indiscriminately, you're going to be able to convince people of anything. You can, you can go start a cult somewhere and you can hold up in Waco, Texas, and you can do wacko things. That's, that's what happens when you do proof texts. I'm just going to grab independent pieces of Scripture and just tell you what I think they mean. It's horrible Bible exposition, okay? Good theologians, and I'm going to say good students of the Word, refuse to do proof texting. And instead, what you and I need to do if we're going to be honest students of the Word is every time we come to a controversy like this or a dispute is do what's called inductive Bible study, which is simply this. I am going to take every single verse that talks about the topic and find out where the weight of the evidence is. In other words, when I take it all and combine it, what does it say as the whole, not just grabbing one verse? We don't do that because we're lazy. But it also ends up making us very errant in how we study Scripture. Okay, Here's what you're going to discover. If you do a search on what does the Bible say about how to be a Christian, and does it include baptism? And what you're going to find is simply this that you and I are going to come up with a couple verses. Verses like Mark 16, 16, and Acts 22, verse 16, that seem to say baptism is required. Okay, You're going to find a couple of those verses. But here's what you're going to find when you do good study. That after you get past those two verses, there ain't much there that even seems to imply that. But when you get to verses that say, all you need is belief to be a Christian, you are going to find verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. And let me give you a few of those. You may want them uh, tonight. Um, Acts. Okay, this. There we go. Acts. Okay, I'm going to give them to you. This, This screen hates me. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. John chapter 3, verse 36. John chapter 4, verse 42. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. We've already mentioned the thief on the cross. Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 13. But let's grab, let's grab a few that we know, okay? Go to, go to John chapter 3, verse 16. Most of us could probably quote it. John chapter 3, verse 16. All right, let's start in verse 15. You ready? Everyone who, next word, believes in him may have eternal life. Where's baptism? For the Son of, for for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that whosoever, next word, believes, where's baptism? In him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, no, wait a minute. If I believe, Scripture just said I have Eternal life. Baptism's not a prerequisite. Let's keep going. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever, next word, believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not, next word, believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Where's baptism? Where's last rites? Where's confession to the priest? Where's all that other stuff? It's not there. Okay, another verse. John chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Yet to all who received Him, to those who, next word, believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. 
what happened to church membership? What happened to all that other stuff? Believed. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Many of us will know this passage already. For it is by grace, and grace is another word for, did we remember? Not unmerited favor. That's the Bible answer. That's what, what's, the, what's just the simple answer? No. A gift. A gift. Anytime you get grace, it's a gift. You didn't earn it. That's why it's unmerited favor. That's just too big a word to remember. It's a gift. Okay? Keep it simple from all the errors, for all the Arizonans to remember. For by His gift, you have been saved through, what, what is the next word? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by, what's the next word? Works. Is going to church a work? Yes. Is baptism a work? Is it something I do? Yes. Is last rites a work? Yes. And what is Scripture saying here unequivocally clear? This was a gift from God given to you because of faith, not by works, not by adding something to Jesus, not by doing something extra. So that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in us advanced to do. Say, look, you're supposed to do the things that serve God, but that's what you do after you're saved. Not to get saved. Okay? Another verse. Galatians chapter 2. It's going to be the left. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 16. Know that a man is not, a, is not justified by observing the law, by keeping the rules, by doing the orders, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, not by obeying the rules because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And here's what you're going to find and here's what good inductive Bible study does. When you start to look at the passages that seem to say, boy, this thing is just, all right, there we go. Work. I'm going to find, you're going to find a couple passages like Mark, or, uh, Mark 16, 16 and Acts chapter 22. But when you find the passages that say, I am saved by faith without works, you're going to find tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of passages. And here's what you do with good Bible. You go, wait a minute. The evidence is just so overwhelming that Scripture is saying you don't get saved by baptism. You don't get saved by church. I mean, Scripture, I mean, it just says it over and over and over again. So I must not be understanding these passages clearly. Okay? And an old, wise, good theologian said to me one day, you find one or two verses that don't seem to fit with everything else, it's not because the verses are broken or wrong. It's because you just haven't figured them out yet. So when you and I sit in good inductive Bible study and there's scores and scores and verses over and over again in Scripture that say, save by faith, save by believing in Jesus, and there's one or two off to the side that seem to be at odds, those are the couple ones you need to figure out. How do those fit into this? Does that make sense? Sort of? Okay, all right, all right. And what we're going to do and what you end up doing is you come back to these verses and you realize... Within the early Christian church, the idea that someone would become a Christian but be unwilling to be baptized was unthinkable. I mean, they would have said, wait a minute, you told me you believed and you're not willing to confess Jesus? You're not willing to put this out front? That, that's crazy. You can't believe and not be willing to say it. And that's one reason that when you get to passages in Scripture where they say, hey, believe and be baptized is because the truth was anybody who really believed was willing to be baptized. It was a natural occurrence once a person had put their faith in Christ. Yes? 
Okay, so then, uh, like, as a child, I was baptized Catholic, so I still don't get that, like, baptism, like, we didn't have a choice back then. Right. Okay, so now you get to the crux of our discussion, okay? And remember I said to you tonight as we got ready to talk, I said, you're going to sit in this room and you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, that's not what I've always heard. That's not what I've always been told. And my challenge to you is, is that when we get to those moments together, you take time to look at Scripture. You just take time to say, what is Scripture actually saying? And here's what you're going to find, I'm going to suggest out loud, as you investigate Scripture on this topic of baptism. And that is simply this, that you never find a single time in the Bible that a baby is baptized. Can't find it. It's just, it's just not there. Matter of fact, baptism in Scripture always happens after what? After belief. And you cannot find a person in Scripture who was baptized who did not exhibit belief. Okay? Because when a person is baptized, and we did this a couple weeks ago, so everybody ought to know this answer. When a person is baptized, they're doing a mime. You are play-acting faith. That's what you're doing. You're play-acting faith. When you stand in the water, what are you declaring? Without saying a word, but by miming it, what are you declaring? That Jesus lived. You're saying, this is not a mythological story. This is not a fairy tale. This isn't something some theologian made up in the 14th century. I believe that Jesus lived. That's what you're saying when you stand in there in the water. When they put you under the water, when they, you ready? When they bury you in baptism, what are you saying? I believe he died. Not that he swooned on the cross, not that he passed out, not that the disciples had an elaborate plan and got him to get off before he really died, okay? And that Mary Magdalene was his nurse. And You're saying, I believe he died. When they bring you up out of the water, what are you declaring with a mind? rose again. So what you're doing in the process of baptism is you are, you ready? You are declaring what you already believe. You are simply publicly saying, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you're going to criticize me. I don't care if you're going to laugh at me. I am telling you by being baptized, I believe Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. Which, remember guys, what is that story the essence of? The gospel. You just said out loud, I believe the gospel. Here's the problem. Can any baby make that declaration? No. Because they've never come to a point where they can actually believe that for themselves. It, it's not possible. Okay, so we had questions. All right. Okay. Um, Remember I said I was going to scare you. All right. So if... Baptism is not a part of salvation, but it does say believe and be baptized. Right. Are you then sinning and being disobedient if you're not baptized? You want the easy answer? Okay. We wrestled with this at another church. All right. So I'm not going to give you the easy answer. I'm going to give you the one that you have to process a little bit. Jesus simply said this. He that confesses me before men... Him I will confess before my Father in heaven. And the first and most simple and honest confession of my faith in Jesus Christ is a thing called baptism. Because when I get baptized, what did I just, what did I just do? I just confessed my faith. And here's what I'm just going to simply say to my brothers and sisters. You can be mad at me if you want to. If you are a follower of Christ, why wouldn't you confess him? Why wouldn't you say out loud to anybody who wants to know, I am a Christ follower, and I don't care what you think about that? Because isn't that what it means to be a Christ follower? Is you're saying, his approval is more important to me than anybody else's approval. And I'm willing to let you know what team I'm on. Part of why these verses are a little confusing in Mark 16 is because it was absolutely unthinkable to the early church that someone would put their faith in Jesus Christ and be too embarrassed to be baptized. It's why it says, believe and get baptized. Man, let people know you believed. Put it out there. Don't be ashamed of this decision in your life. Okay? 
So all I'm going to say to you is, look, I get it, and here's what I want to say out loud. I get that we come from different traditions, and I get that some of us were baptized when we were infants, and I get that some of us would go, oh, man, you don't, my parents, my parents would be so disappointed if I ever got baptized now that I am a believer. They just wouldn't understand. They'd think I was rejecting something about my past. You are. You are. Because what happened in that tradition as they baptized you as a baby is that they were saying out loud, in order to secure your salvation, you had to be a member of the church that was baptizing you, and that's how they were securing your membership. So in some ways you are rejecting something that is part of that past. But the other part I think you can say to parents, because most, most parents weren't thinking that way. They were just trying to do something to encourage... And here's what I tell, ask and encourage people to say to their parents who had them baptized as children. You had me baptizing, hoping that I would be a Christ follower. I am now being baptized because I am a Christ follower. So in many ways, this is a fulfillment of what you hoped for me when I was a child. I'm not doing this to reject you. I'm doing this to say that what you always dreamed and wanted for me, I now confess and believe in my life. And let this be a fulfillment of what you hoped and in no way a rejection of what you tried to rear in my life. Okay? All right. I'm glad you brought this up because okay. this is a big issue for me because I, I, too, was raised Catholic, but I confirmed my baptism when I was in eighth grade. Right. So I had Christ in my heart, and I accepted Christ at that point. Right. Um, I didn't see it as a membership as a church. I, I took this as a personal belief. But now that I've gone to non-denominational churches, people have said to me that, that baptism was not valid because you did not die to yourself. You were not born again. And I'm just curious to see what your thoughts are because I think the, the term born again gets tossed around quite often, mm-hmm. and there's a, an association with that that you have to be baptized to be born again hmm. as opposed to accepting Christ in your which, heart. Which baptism are your friends telling you wasn't valid, the one you did when you were a baby or the one you did in eighth grade? Baby and then confirming it in eighth grade. Okay. All right. So here's here's what I'm gonna here here's what I'm gonna hmm. okay we're having fun <laughs> okay so we're just gonna talk honest okay we're gonna talk out loud and honest because that's what we're doing we're doing scripture together and then you get to go home and study and find out whether what I'm saying to you is accurate or not baptizing babies really comes out of a church tradition about 800 years after the time of Christ. You don't find any New Testament believers baptizing babies. Matter of fact, if you go to Israel today and you look at first century baptistries, they are all they all look like bathtubs. Okay? Now theirs was a little interesting. It was kind of like you remember when we were up here a couple of weeks ago and I had that big horse trough inside the bed and that guy had to get down on his knees in order to do that? That's really what a New Testament baptistry looked like. They they'd get in that bathtub looking thing on their knees, but they would you ready? They would baptize by immersion. And the reason they did is because of this whole picture of Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And nowhere are they baptizing babies in the first century, second century, third century. They're just not doing it. It comes about hundreds of years later. And here's why it comes about. Because by the time this comes about, they've begun to teach that if you want to go to heaven, you need Jesus plus. You need Jesus plus church membership. You need Jesus plus last rites. You need Jesus plus marriage in the church. You need Jesus plus confession. And they've come up with a whole list of plus. And guess what one of the pluses was? Baptism. Baptism. And they begin to say, well, wait a minute. If I want to be sure my baby goes to heaven, how do I make sure that he's a part of your church? Well, we'll baptize him. And they go, well, this is crazy because... You're going to take a little teeny infant and under the water? I mean, you know, that could be bad. And so they said, well, no, 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 we'll just take them and we'll sprinkle them and we'll... Guys, when's the last time you buried somebody and sprinkled a little dirt on them? That's, That's ugly. That would be a bad burial, okay? And But they do this because they're they're getting sucked into tradition and not sucked into Scripture. So here's what I'm going to say to my brothers and sisters in the room because we're just being honest and straight. Show me an infant baptism in the Bible. Because at the end of the day, as Christ's followers, you and I are commanded to follow what Jesus taught and what Scripture reveals. So show me a single infant baptism in Scripture. 
And what you'll come back and go is, this isn't Scripture, this is the traditions of men. That's what it is. It's not Bible. And it was tradition, because some men decided that Jesus by himself was not enough to get us to heaven, and that we needed to add a whole bunch of other things to the list in order to get to heaven. It was Jesus plus teaching. Jesus plus join our church. Jesus plus get married in our church. Jesus plus get baptized. And here's the thing I'm going to begin to ask you. Okay, and here's the, here's, it's just the question. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to let you answer it. If Jesus is Savior, if Jesus is Savior and Scripture over and over and over and over, how much time do we have? We're done. Okay, so we're stopping here. All right, I told you we'd get really far tonight. Um, if Jesus is Savior and, and belief in Jesus gets me to heaven, and that's all it is, is belief in Jesus, at what point when I start believing in baptism and I start believing in membership and I start believing in confession and I start believing in selling Girl Scout cookies, at what point do I add so many things to the gospel that I'm no longer actually trusting Jesus to be my Savior, but I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting being baptized. I'm trusting going to church. I'm trusting tithing. At what point, how many other things do I get to add to Jesus and I'm no longer letting Him be as my Savior and I'm making myself my Savior because I'm doing things to get to heaven? One, two, five... How many things do I get to add to the gospel and it's not the gospel anymore? And the answer is, I don't know. But that's a scary question. Because, and here's what I'm going to suggest to you, I believe there are people out there who have added so many things to Jesus that they've never actually trusted Jesus to be their Savior. They're trusting the other things more than they're trusting Him. They're trusting their church membership. They're trusting that they help the little ladies across the street. And they think they're Christians, but they've never really put their faith in their Savior. Their faith is in their good deeds. How many does it take? I don't know. But it's a scary question. Okay? All right, real quick, because we're leaving. You don't pay for all your gifts? I pay everybody back when they give me a gift. No, I'm teasing. Yeah. I'm with you. Gifts you don't pay for and gifts you don't earn. And I think Scripture is pretty clear on it. Hey, guys, here's why we're spending time on this. I am telling you that this is, when you and I get this sunk in, when we get to this, it's going to save you and I a ton of confusion. It's going to save us a lot of controversy and a lot of late-night talks when you and I get down to what does the Bible say. Okay? All right, let's stop. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word. Thank you that it is truth. Thank you that we can come and just openly discuss and study. But God, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to ask, make us good students of the word. Make us be willing to be honest with what we've always been told and what we've always heard and hold that up against Scripture. Because at the end of the day, Scripture, Scripture alone decides what our faith should be. So God, help us to be that type of student. And this we say in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as you get ready to go, let me just say this real quick. It's okay if you disagree with me, but only if you find Scripture to back it up. Okay? All right.